0: But today we're going to look at a key verse, and it's found in Hosea, and it's in chapter 2, and it's verse um, 19 and 20. And it says, I'm going to betroth you to me forever, and I'm going to betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice. And this version says, I'm going to make you my wife forever, and I'm going to show you Righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. And when it talks about this steadfast love, it talks about this level of faithfulness. And this is really a key verse in this book of Hosea as we're talking about relationships and i think during the course of their marriage they had a lot of challenges a lot of difficulties and and i think that if you've ever been in a relationship you know how challenging it can be sometimes you feel like you have found the right person for you but there seems to always be something that is interfering with your relationship. It could be external, could be internal, could be a different set of values, could be a misunderstanding through communication. And often we are faced with conflicts. And the biggest challenge that most couples have is that they don't know how to overcome those conflicts. That's the reality is that most of us have to learn how to be in relationship with someone else. And in that, sometimes it feels super easy, and sometimes it feels incredibly hard and almost impossible. And as a result, anyone that is in a relationship will tell you that for the most part, the thing that still is tough for them is the communication and maybe even the conflict resolution aspect of the relationship. And so this is not any different for Hosea and Gomer in this story because they have a lot of problems. And the problems are from the beginning. And right from the start, there are challenges that they're dealing with and that they're facing that are making it incredibly difficult for them to have any kind of hope. Well, today we're going to talk about the gateway of hope and how when we face these conflicts and when we face relationship communication issues, that there are certain habits that God gives us that we can implement so that we can have a healthy relationship, whether we are in one or we will be in one. These are principles that he gives us so we can escape the hardships that a lot of couples and a lot of relationships deal with on an ongoing basis. Now, the, things about, the thing about Hosea and Gomer is that they ended up having three kids. And those three children made it incredibly difficult for them to also have peace in their relationship. From everything that we can see, the first child that Hosea and Gomer have, that is their child together. And that child has a name that goes by Jezreel, and that meaning means God sows. The second child that they have is in Hosea's. And, and Gomer runs out on Hosea and has a sexual relationship and then has sexual relationships at a temple that has this as a ritual to Canaanite gods, one of them being Baal. And, and Gomer is at this temple and is having many sexual partners. She gets pregnant and God instructs Hosea to still take her back. And then when he takes them back, she's pregnant, she has this child. This child now is called not pitied or basically without mercy. And, And the idea there is that there is this relationship between Hosea and Gomer that is getting increasingly worse. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. And God is looking at this and he's saying, this is what my relationship looks like with Israel. This is what it often looks like with my people. And so it starts off with promises and a covenant and with incredible expectations of blessing. But then along the way, we can become unfaithful and in our unfaithfulness experience what would be the consequences of that unfaithfulness. And, and God still is saying, but I'm willing to take you back. And, and so therefore he encourages Hosea to do the same thing. And and I think this is important because sometimes when there's infidelity in a relationship, when someone has cheated and there's been a breakup there of trust um, and, and, and when there's been this violation, we sometimes think that there's no way of coming back from that. But what the scriptures show us is that there is, there always is. But there has to be a willingness on both parties, obviously, to be able to take those steps forward. But it may feel like there is no way forward. But what the story of Hosea and Gomer teach us is that there definitely is. If there's hope for this couple, then there's hope for any couple. And then there's a way for us to believe that God can redeem, restore, and reestablish a covenant that was there and present at the beginning, but maybe not there as time went on in that relationship. God can still do something miraculous and bring back that couple to a place where they can experience his blessing again. And so then the third child that they have, again, isn't Hosea's. Gomer goes out and does the same things, and and then Hosea goes out and gets her and brings her back. And then this time, it's gotten to the point where Hosea is told to name this child, Not My People. And so you see that there's this complete degradation in terms of the relationship. And, And each child symbolically represents the relationship of the state of God's relationship with his people, but also a reflection of the relationship between Hosea and Gomer. And, and as a result of this, there are certain things that are said, certain things that are done in this passage to kind of give us an idea of what can happen in this type of situation. And so, obviously, you can imagine that home, Hosea's um, um, anger towards Gomer is just like next level, the level of betrayal that he feels and everything else. And and God is trying to express those sentiments when he's actually talking to his people. And listen to what these verses uh, say. So God, and I want you to imagine God and Hosea as slash the husband and, and uh, Gomer, the wife in this. And I want you to hear what the verses are actually highlighting. And so... So God the husband is going to strip her naked, make her like a wilderness, and he's going to do this in front of her lovers. Um, He's going to kill her with thirst. He's going to isolate her. He's going to refuse to provide for her well-being. And he's going to humiliate her before her lovers. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Like it's like really extreme. And, and, And I want you to understand that in the story in which we're in, what God is doing is that he's he's trying to he's trying to express the pain that he himself is feeling, which is interesting because if I'm God I, I wouldn't allow myself to feel that pain i wouldn't I wouldn't let myself go and experience that level of betrayal. And, and what we're hearing is that is that when God looks at us and looks at our unfaithfulness, that this is what he can describe and and then then we get it when Hosea thinks like this because we've seen what uh, what can happen in some relationships where there is uh, violence in that relationship, where there is uh, very much actions that can uh, articulate something that is really wrong towards another person, and and it could be. You know, a woman towards a man, just like it can be a man towards a woman. But what we see here is that sometimes, and we know this to be true, there can be violence and abuse in the household. And and everything that we just read there is a description of that violence. It's a description of that abuse. It's It's about taking it to an extent and to a length and to a place that it should never have gone to. But this is what... God is doing. He's not hiding the emotions of what can happen, the reality of where it can take you, the dark places in your mind and in your heart that you can be pushed to, the things that you could do in a situation like that. And so the things that are being described are very dark, they're evil, they're wrong. It's not to say those things are right, but it's to show how wrong they are And then what happens is that even though these are the emotions, these are the thoughts, these are the things that we can maybe express to a friend and and to a family member or even to the person themselves who has betrayed us, that God then says, but wait a second, there's another way to approach this. There's another way to see this and to understand this. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to see this and understand this in a different way. And so... What happens is that in the third chapter, I love how God's actions against uh, Gomer and Hosea's actions against Gomer are completely different. In fact, in the story in which we're in, it becomes something else. He says, I've now commanded you to love your adulterous wife. I want you to do everything that you can to have her back in your home restored to a place and to an experience of where she is provided for. I want you to do all that is required that you can reestablish a covenant relationship in your household. And that is the place where I believe that God wants us to experience his heart and not the anger that is being expressed in chapter 2. So in chapter 3, Hosea goes and he gets all of the resources that he has and he brings them back to Hosea brings them back to Gomer, puts it before her, and the person who has now captured her, has authority over her, somehow has been indebted to, and then he releases her completely from that debt, and he restores her back into his household. Now, one of the things I want to share with you today, and I think it's important for us to kind of set the stage for what we're talking about, And so the introduction that we've just kind of gone through just kind of highlights the importance of of how we can get to a place where we don't have any hope. And so in Hosea chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, because if I just show you these verses without giving you any kind of context, you're going to be maybe a little lost. So in Hosea chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says, This is what God does. For this reason I will fence her in with thorn bushes, I'm going to block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. And then in verse 7 it says that when she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them and she will search for them but not find them. Now this passage is obviously talking about Hosea and Gomer, and so it's 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 describing their relationship. So the the him and the her in this is is interchangeable for us, right? It's it's not speaking only to the woman in the room. It's, it's speaking to all of us. And the principles that are there are for all of us. And we're learning from the story. We're learning from the relationship, the couple that, that is in the story. We're learning from them. And so what God says he promises to do in this situation is that he promises to set the kind of boundaries around that person that are thorn bushes, basically a wall as well. So that person has nowhere to go. In other words, that whatever they do outside of the faithfulness that is required in a marriage relationship, that they are not going to find blessing. And I want you to see how that how God is saying, I am going to interfere in this. I'm going to do everything that I can to show you and to demonstrate to you that when you behave this way, that you are outside of the parameters of my blessing, and of my grace, and of my mercy, and of all the things that I have for you, you're not going to be able to experience those things because what you're going to keep running into are thorn bushes and walls, things that are going to keep you away from the blessing that you should anticipate to have. So you leave this person for that person, you do it the wrong way, here's what's going to happen. This is what's going to be the result. This is what it's going to look like. This is how you're going to be living your life for the foreseeable future because you didn't do it in a manner that brought honor to me or to the person you were with or to others in whose life you have interfered with as well. So God is saying, I want you to be aware of this because then in Hosea 3 verses 1 and 2, look at what happens here. He says, go and love your wife again. That even though she commits adultery with another lover in verse 2, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. And what God says, what I want you to always do is see if there is a path of forgiveness here, a path of reconciliation, a path of restoration. And so in the story, even though these things have happened that there may be a way back from those things. And, and God says, I, I want you to work at trying to find a way back. I want you to do everything that you can to see if there can be a way back. And what's amazing in this story is that God says through Hosea that he's going to do certain things. And, and one of the things that he does is that after he accumulates all the wealth that he possibly has and pays off his wife's debt and brings her back home, and reestablishes a covenant with her, he then says to her, <clears throat> we are not going to have sexual relations, which you would understand. You would look at that, and you would say, well, that makes sense. He's been unfaithful. Uh, why would he even have that desire to do such a thing? But what he's doing is something, I think, far more important than just uh, resisting his sexual drive and impulses in having relations with someone who has been unfaithful with him. What we see is that the intention here is far different. And it's something that's actually described by the apostle Paul. And Paul does this in first Corinthians chapter seven, verse five, is that he says this, he says, do not detry, de- deprive each other of sexual relations, unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time, so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. And so what, what Paul is saying here is that sometimes things get broken in your relationship to the point where you don't feel any type of connection or any desire for sexual intimacy. And as a result, that you may start to withdraw from your partner, and one of the first areas that can suffer is the sexual intimacy part. And as a result, God is saying, well, why don't you just intentionally talk about this, discuss it. Talk about why there isn't this connection. Talk about why there isn't this level of intimacy. Talk about where maybe you are trying to find this intimacy. Talk about maybe where you are being tempted to search and to act upon this level of intimacy. Talk about the things that maybe you have turned to to satisfy yourself, maybe in a self-pleasuring way so that you can just get past the fact that you no longer have any kind of sexual intimacy in your relationship. And and what, what Paul is saying is what God does in the case of Hosea and Gomer is that he says, I want you to actually take time apart to pray, get stronger so that your sexual life can be just as active than, and, and, and wholesome and not in a way in which, uh, Gomer, you were trying to satisfy yourself and, and the things that you did when you escaped your household and escaped your husband and tried to find that some, somewhere else. And so in Hosea chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, Let's take a look at those verses and it says, but then I'm going to do this. I'm going to win her back and I'm going to lead her into the desert and I'm going to speak tenderly to her there. And I want to focus on the fact that he is honest about where the relationship is at. He's saying, I'm going to lead her into the desert. And he knows that this is like the reality of the landscape. This is what the relationship is actually like. It's it's not, it's not in any way a lush oasis where they're going to find everything to be amazing. It is not a garden of Eden. It is a desert experience. But he then says, I'm going to win her back. I'm going to speak tenderly to her. And then look at this. Yeah, you can go. Uh, Thank you. I will return her vineyards to her. And this means that there is a work that Hosea, that God is promising to do. He's saying that I'm going to bring back a place of flourishing, of, of provision, a place that is going to bring blessing. And I'm going to transform this valley of trouble And there it is into a gateway of hope. And so when we turn our attention to God, this is what he says. I will take your desert and I will transform it into a place where there are vineyards. This valley of trouble is now going to become a gateway of hope. And so when we're in a relationship and we're hitting a rough spot, when we're in difficulty, even if we haven't cheated yet, even if it's just a thought and maybe it's just a temptation. And, and I assure you that, that, that Satan is just at work in just trying to destroy your life and your relationship uh, than then he is everyone else's as well. And so we have to just be aware of this, that these tactics are out there, these schemes are out there, that these things are always a temptation to us. It's just the reality of what we deal with on a daily basis. And so we can't assume that these things aren't going to happen to us um, because of the age or the position that we're in, because of the circumstances. Um, You know, none of those things are ever, ever hindrances. But what God can do is that he promises, I can turn things around. And so I want us to believe in that right now and then understand that there's certain characteristics that come about in this relationship. If I'm going to lead someone into a desert experience and then speak tenderly to them, and I'm going to wait for God to turn this desert into vineyards, and a valley of trouble into a gateway of hope, then there's certain things that I'm gonna to have to do. And I want to share what those things are. And, and and this is something that is not just found in scriptures, but most therapists will uh, will talk about how when they're when they look at happy couples, when they look at couples that are healthy, that these are the things that they always do. And here's the first one. Number one, They always have the difficult conversations. A lot of us avoid them. And the reason for that is because we would prefer an artificial peace than a real one. We would be content with living the lie than facing the truth. You see, when we deal with the difficult issues in our relationships, when we choose to have the difficult conversations, what God does is that he puts us in a position where he disarms the enemy and he disarms us. He makes it impossible for other people to use what we're hiding and he makes it impossible for what we are hiding to be weaponized by the devil himself. And so if we bring out into the open what is really going on, if we have the difficult conversations, then God is going to be able to do something with that. And Satan will not be able to do something with that. It'll be out in the open between you and therefore not hidden, not a secret. It's not just something that's happening in your mind. And every day you're dwelling on this and maybe being tempted by it. Maybe you're not doing this every day outside of the relationship where you're going to a place that leads you into thorn bushes and walls, but rather into a place where you're going to experience vineyards and gateways of hope. And so the verse that I want to share with you is Ephesians chapter four, verses two and three. And it says, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. And then verse three, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Can we say amen to that? And you see that in this passage, it says that we are making every effort and we're talking to the person openly about what it is that we are going through, what we're experiencing, what we're feeling, and that person is doing the same. That person is listening. Maybe they don't have the same shared feeling. Sometimes the struggles are not shared. And often in relationships, sometimes it's like that. It's like one person is having the struggle, the other person isn't. But if there's an environment where you can have difficult conversations, well, then it can lead you out of that place where that person isn't stuck in that mindset, believing that there's no way out of this. And so what this scripture reminds us is that there's a way to approach this. There's a way to do this that brings the health back into a healthy relationship. The second thing that we're taught in the scriptures is that we are not supposed to keep score. That we are not supposed to keep score think many of us are blessed with a bad memory, and others are blessed with an incredibly good memory. And sometimes, because we have such a good memory, we can like basically reenact and and just reverbalize the conversation, you know word per word in how it occurred and 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 dwell on the words that were spoken and how they were articulated and the emotions that were behind that. And then the other person is kind of like oblivious to that and just kind of moves on emotionally and doesn't feel the same connection to what the other person has lived. And those words don't have the same level of meaning to one person as they do to another. And, and therefore, you start keeping score. You keep, you keep score because you, you realize that that person is, is not paying attention. And so you want them to pay attention. So sometimes you become a scorekeeper because you want the other person to not forget how they hurt you, to not forget how they're hurting you. And and so you don't let it go because if you let it go, it's like that person is never going to learn to stop being that way. So you feel like you've really got to keep a record of this. And so you start keeping notes on your phone. You start documenting this with video you're paying for transcription of your conversation. Like, you, even if it's 25 cents a word, you don't care. <laughs> because, because you need to make sure that these things are not forgotten, right? And sometimes that's what, what, what occurs. And so God says, hold on a second. If you want to be happy, if you want to find the gateway of hope in your relationship, if you want to resolve conflict then this is what I'm going to ask you to do. And he tells us this in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 13, and in verse 4 and 5. He's saying, love does what? It's it's always patient. It's kind. And look at the end of it. It keeps no record of being wrong." It keeps no record, and so there's there's this idea that we have to get into this place where we have to erase the record of wrong, and say, Lord, the way that you erase my record of wrong, I'm gonna have to do the same thing. Because if there's gonna be any hope for my marriage, for my relationship, there's gonna be any hope for me to have a healthy relationship, both now or in the future. I've got to change in this area. I've got to remember that the love that I need is not gonna come from me, it's gonna come from you. And it is that love that is going to eliminate any record of wrong. And so let's take a look at number three. Don't hold grudges. And interestingly enough, it sounds like it could be the same thing, but it's not. It's actually different. Because sometimes we hold a record of wrong so that we can hold another person captive and keep them imprisoned to us, indebted to us, in servitude to us for what they did. But the emotion of a grudge is, is something else. Sometimes like you can actually keep a record of wrong and, and and not hold a grudge, but there's a way that we can emotionally sometimes find ourselves not just penalizing the other person, but without realizing it, we are penalizing also ourselves. And in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 13, look at what it says. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Make allowances for other people's faults. Now, the thing about relationships, and this is where it gets tricky, is that we have made those allowances because when we're in a relationship, when we're dating, we have seen what they are. Uh, we have maybe taken the next step and we've decided to, in some cases, some people move in before they get married. And so they, they're taking different steps. And I've seen people who go on vacation together or they take a weekend away and then they decide to move in together. And sometimes it's it's all mixed up these days. You don't even know like what a person is doing and, 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 and why. It's just like, it just seems like they're just making the rules as they go along. And in and these days, it's hard for a person to just, you know, also give up on another person. And sometimes we give up on them really, really quickly because there's enough there for us to know this is not going to work. And then sometimes there's enough there for us to think, well, that it can work. And and as a result, what we see in this passage is that we have to make allowances no matter what for for people's faults. And and we have to be able to let go and to forgive and, and, and not to hold that against another person. And and that's where I think some of us can struggle more than others. And we sometimes walk away from people, even when we're dating, even when there's nothing wrong with this person, because we're not allowing love to bloom. We're not allowing it to even get to a place where it can flourish, because we just have trouble forgiving and letting things go. And so it never gets there. It never happens because we've already been hurt, we've been offended, we've been disrespected, we've somehow already drawn the line and we've said, that's it, it's over. And then we're surprised when when couples call it quits because they've made those vows, they've been together and then they've taken the journey and they've overcome those things, what seemingly look like things that they should have given up over and then they decide to give up like later on in their relationship, after years of being together. And you kind of wonder, okay, well what happened between seeing these things when you were dating, when you were on vacation together, living together, engaged, what happened that that all of those things now, they're not any different than the things that you got married to, but now you're giving up. And I think it always comes down to these principles. It comes down to, hey, are you having the difficult conversations? Hey, are you keeping score? And are you holding grudges? And I feel that at some point, if we don't do the right things in our relationship to have a healthy relationship, it's, we're going to have a breakup. We're going to cheat on somebody. They're going to cheat on us. There's there's something that's going to happen along the way that's going to cause the rupture. And so God is saying, I'm going to show you what those things are that can safeguard your relationship so that you can always have that gateway of hope instead. Here's number four. Healthy couples and couples who experience a gateway of hope don't call each other names. Um... I cannot even say the word "stupid" to my wife, and she'll knock me in the teeth. <laughs> I, I can't. Sometimes it's happened. Like I, not that she's knocked me in the teeth, but I, she has threatened that. But, uh, <laughs> but I have said the word "stupid." I said, "That's so stupid. That is such a stupid thing that you did." I said that, and I, 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 because I never talk like that, um, say things like that, especially directed to my wife. Um, just hearing that is like the worst possible word she's ever heard in her life. Does that make sense? But when you're called worse, stupid is nothing. Does that make sense? It all depends on what you're used to hearing. It all depends on what you've accepted and tolerated in terms of your communication with one another. And I've, I've, I've heard some people call each other atrocious names. Uh, names that I would never even uh, hear in a locker room. As a sports chaplain, I've I've heard couples speak this way to each other, and and I can't imagine what that's like to to live that in, day in and day out. And every time there's an argument, it's like it's like oh, but you pushed me to that point. And but here's what happens: the moment that you allow that word or any word to be spoken in your household and to be spoken towards the person that you are in covenant with or establishing a future with, then you can be certain that you are running into thorn bushes and walls instead of vineyards and gateways of hope. Isn't that clear? And so look at what it says here in terms of don't ever call each other names. In Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good. Let it be helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Are you guys in agreement with this? And when we make this commitment, then we can uphold the commitment in our household. See, it takes one of us to say, I am going to stand by this. I am going to live by this. I'm going to do this. And it's not going to be easy at first because we're going to have a pattern that we may have to break, a way that we've been accustomed to speaking, to saying, to expressing ourselves in anger. And, and, and I think that's where we're going to have to be accountable to each other and, and, and encourage each other and say, hey, I, I know we agreed that we would not do this anymore and you just did it. And, and so we're not going to revert back to the things of the past. Let's stop talking this way right now Let's take a break from each other if we have to. Let's table this conversation for another moment, but we are not going to speak to each other this way because we are both image bearers of God. And we will not speak curses to one another. And if I curse you, I am cursing myself. And if I am not blessing you, I cannot be blessed. If I cannot cultivate an environment of blessing, then how is God going to move us forward to be able to accomplish the goals that we have for ourselves and for our relationship and for our family and for the bounty that we are trusting God for, the provision and the protection and the peace that we all desire to experience. And so if we make this commitment, then God has a place where these things can flourish. Here's number five. They don't snoop or spy out of mistrust. And I think that when we are doing this, when we're snooping, when we're spying, there's also a level of mistrust there, and it's probably warranted. There's probably things that one of us has done. Listen, I don't know about you, but nobody wants to read my emails. And if you do, you're going to have to work. Nobody wants to read my text messages. There's nothing in them or my emails of interest. There's nothing there. You want my passcodes? I'll give it to everybody here. You want my browser history? I will voluntarily offer that. I'm not worried about anyone spying on me. I'm not worried about my wife doing that. am not worried about my overseers doing that. I'm not worried about anyone in my congregation doing that. I'm not worried about that at all. And I'll tell you why. Because you get to a place where you finally realize that there is no other place that you want to be in this world other than in the presence of the Lord. That is the best place. Hallelujah. There is no greater place. There is no greater peace. There's nothing that this world can offer me that is better than that presence. And believe me, I've I've tried it. I've tested it. I've gone out to experience it, and I realize that there's nothing there but just more brokenness and desolation. There's just more desert. I don't know about you, but aren't you tired of the desert? Don't you want the vineyards and the gateway of hope to greater things? What God is saying is that why do you keep thinking you are going to find something in that desert? There's nothing there. Why do you keep thinking that you are going to smell roses that are better than the flowers you have when all you're going to face are the thorn bushes instead? Why do you keep imagining that outside of what you have is better? When what I can do is turn around what you've got. I can multiply what you have. I can bless what I've already given you. I can make it better than anything out there. If you give me the opportunity, I will do exactly that. And the amazing thing about Hosea and Gomer is that God does that for them. He takes a story that is the most corrupt and the most broken in the scriptures, and he gives them hope and then he restores them. And I want that to be us. I want us to experience that. And that's why these principles are so powerful. Look what it says in Proverbs 11.3. There's a verse for that. And it says, honesty guides good people, but honesty always destroys treacherous people. And what God is saying is that if you got something to hide, the person who's going to get destroyed is you. And, and and you're going to be the person who's honest. So you don't worry about that because they're going to be dishonest. They're going to destroy you. Yes, it's going to have some some blowback on you. But, but I want you to know that because you were honest, and because you're honest, I'm going to keep blessing you. And it's the other person who's going to have to deal with the consequences of that dishonesty. Okay? So this is really, really important. Here's number six. By the way, we're only going up to eight. Just in case you think I'm going to 10 or 12 (laughs) or 20 or 25. Let me give you a gateway of hope. (laughs) We are only going to eight and I'm getting quicker as I go. And so number six is, and here's important, really important one. um, They don't lie to each other. Uh, Remember the first point, which was having difficult conversations? Sometimes we can have a... Someone who falls alone is always going to be in real trouble. And so God says, this is what we're going to have to look out for. Here's number eight. They don't take each other for granted. We want to have a healthy relationship. You want to experience the valley of hope and and the vineyards that God has promised and the abundance that comes from that. Well, it's going to happen if we don't take each other for granted. And in Ecclesiastes, again, in chapter 4, look at verse 11. It says, two people who lie close together can always keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? And don't say a heated blanket. (laughs) Because I know we had that technology today. Um, And we have other things that we could use. But verse 12 then says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and they can conquer. Three are even better. And that means when Jesus is in there, because it refers to a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And so you have strength together, not as opponents, but as teammates together. But more importantly, when Jesus is with you, you cannot be broken. And so God says, like, if you're in a relationship with someone and they're your opponent, then you know there's something desperately wrong. That's why you're not happy. That's why you don't have joy. That's why your things are not progressing the way they should. But if you can be there for each other the way that I want you to be, then this is what you can experience. And these eight principles that came out of the scriptures are also what people would agree and look at and say, this is what is required to have a healthy relationship. And, and the wisdom of God in his scriptures is, is already there. It's in the relationship between Hosea and Gomer, and it's in the relationship wisdom that is found throughout the scriptures. And God is saying that if you take these things and you put them into practice right here, right now, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a relationship that is always a gateway of hope. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life/give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you immensely.